0: and get 10% off your plan.
1: Hello, you're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, the Adweek podcast where we talk about marketing, media, technology, advertising, and pop culture. Because in the end, everything's an ad. This is Nicole Ortiz. I'm Adweek's community editor. I handle our voice channel and our trending section in the magazine. I'm doing a special version of our podcast this week for Hispanic Heritage Month, and we have a few guests with us.
2: Hey, I'm Andrea Alcantara, or Alcantara, since we're on the proper pronunciation this week. And I'm Adweek's retail reporter, and I've been on the podcast before. So hello again.
3: Hi, uh, my name is Marina Filipelli. I'm the COO of Orsi, and I've been in uh, Hispanic marketing in some way, shape, or form for about 20 years.
4: And my name is Isaac Mizrahi. Given the pronunciation, I'm not the Isaac, I'm Isaac. (laughs) I am the COO and co-president of Alma Advertising. And I am also the chair of uh, the board of this Cultural Marketing Council, which is the association that unites agencies, media companies, and research companies in the Latino market.
1: Okay, awesome. So we're going to talk to you about all things Hispanic marketing from the last month and year. And so to start us off, I want to just talk about what we saw this month that we thought brands did well, and maybe some things that we thought brands could have done a little bit better and that were maybe tone deaf.
2: I think, firstly, I haven't seen anything that really mentions, you know, the traditional spicy or, you know, the ways the Hispanic community has been previously referred to and that are very generic and old. So that's at least a positive. We're learning. Moving away from stereotypes. Yeah.
3: I haven't seen as much this year. We were talking about this earlier. Um, There really just isn't as big of a push this year for Hispanic Heritage Month from brands from what I can see. In the tone-deaf side, starting off with a positive, Mm -hmm. just kidding. (laughs) I would have to say the Barbie, the Day of the Dead Barbie, um, definitely didn't quite strike the tone I think they hoped for. It definitely seemed like a little bit more on the cultural appropriation side Mm -hmm. of things. And there wasn't really kind of a a reason for its existence rather than just, you know, having a product to sell during this month. So that one I think um, is a little unfortunate. I also have a couple of examples from – from more of a content perspective, which I thought were interesting, Stars Network has their show Vida. I don't know if any of you've seen it, but it's a Latinx show, like done by Latinx, both on uh, in front of the camera and behind the camera. And one of the things I liked about what they did is that um, they actually just supported their own creators in what they're doing. To I don't know if you guys have seen the um, the hug challenge for no, keeping sorry. families together. So it, it really kind of was created after some of the border crisis issues that have been going on. And so there's a lot of nonprofits that are trying to support the cause by raising money. And so basically it's a give a hug challenge mm-hmm. and everybody just, sh- you know, shoots a video giving someone a hug and the, they promote it and they get donations off to the, to the foundation. And so they're they're promoting that, which I think is an interesting way of highlighting a topical issue and actually Supporting the community, so it's really kind of—I don't know if they're actually funding anything, but I—it's—it seems to me more like putting your money where your mouth is versus just talking about things superficially. Mm-hmm. So I like that, um, and they actually have the content to back it up, right? They actually have content that is relevant to this community, so it doesn't feel like they're just trying to get on the bandwagon.
1: Totally.
4: Yeah, I haven't seen much work, uh, which I actually think is good. I'm actually happy that we are seeing advertisers. They don't think that, you know, you should be on the Hispanic Heritage Month. And that's pretty much it. Because honestly, this is, if you look back in the last 10, 15 years, it happened a lot. Or oh, this is going to be the month that we're going to be on air with our condescending message to, mm-hmm. to Latinos, right? So uh, uh, I have seen some uh, some brands, but if they are part of the Dialogue 365, that that's okay. It's okay to actually come a little bit with some recognition. You know, for instance, uh, last year, one of our clients at the Alma State Farm, which has been investing for more than two decades on Hispanic marketing, uh, they actually did the program without calling out the Hispanic Heritage Month. And this program was much more aligned with the brand message at that time to be right there when you need it. And uh, based on an insight that a lot of um Latinx families, they are looking for books to keep the traditions going on. We decided to have something fun, which is books with the uh, dichos populares, or the sayings in Latin America. Different countries, they have different sayings. So we had a lot of mm-hmm. fun and allowed mm-hmm. people to download this little booklet, which was a tremendous success. But aligned with the brand strategy, and in this case, they didn't call out saying celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month. But they had the permission because they have been part of the community for many, many years. I think what concerns me when a client or a prospect comes and say, I need to hire you to do a Hispanic Heritage Month campaign. And we try to convince them, you know what, you should have second thoughts about that.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah, definitely. Um, and I think that like what's th- I kind of agree with you both that I didn't really see too much either. And it's like, such a stark contrast to what we saw during Pride Month, where, like, I feel like a lot of brands really went above, like, overboard this year. And there were people calling them out on Twitter and on other social media platforms saying things like, "Um, you're just, like, trying to monetize on, like, my identity. And I'm kind of happy to not see that happening this month. I was a little nervous. Going into it's it's it. <laughs> almost
4: like it's becoming the Heritage Month for the brands that don't believe in Latinx market. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. And
4: here they are. And they parade for a month and they disappear again.
2: Yeah. I do wonder, though, if maybe the political climate is maybe why we haven't seen that much. If brands are afraid, it'll be like a political statement versus just a celebration statement. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of concerns me. Like, you can celebrate the community without making it political and involving your brand and... Yeah, everything that's going on. That's a good point, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And I, one
3: of the things that we try to do with some of our clients, I think to your point, Zach, about um, clients that have been in the marketplace for a long time, there's an opportunity to celebrate a little bit more because you already earned that right. So for example, with us, um, Honda has been one of our clients for over twenty years, and they've been in the marketplace for a long, long time. And they, um, you know, we always tend to do kind of community activations. So we'll go out and support um, either Hispanic community events or some sort of, um, you know, uh, you know, Latinx-owned. Um, whatever companies or anything that's going on in the marketplace. That way, you know, we're supporting the community, but it's not, you know, that kind of just, hey, we're Mm -hmm. we're just here to remind you that we like you too. And I think to your point about the political climate, that's a way to – a little bit avoid that, I would think, for some brands. If you don't want to come right out and, and say something that might feel a little too political, if you get in the community, if you if you support the actual uh, people on the ground, that's a great way to actually support without you know making a big political statement out of it. Yeah. And I think right now, not only the political climate, but even I think some people don't even know what to call it anymore, right? Mm. So, I mean, we use Latinx at this point. Um, we use Hispanic a little bit interchangeably, although that's really more of a marketing term, I would say at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we just, it feels better and it feels more true to who we are and who our, our, our um, community is to use Latinx. But then then again, is are they going to change the name of the month? to Latinx mm, Is yeah. Heritage Month?
1: I don't know. Maybe I, they should. <laughs> I kind of feel like they should, but I read um, a New York Times article where they were actually calling that out and saying, like, the month needs to be kind of updated mm-hmm. in a way because there are so many... Like, there's such a diverse pool of people that identify as Latino, and it doesn't really make sense. Like, there's some people who feel like Hispanic doesn't cover them at all, like indigenous people and Afro-Latinos, and it just... Doesn't represent so many people, so they. You, you
4: have the Brazilians; they are not Hispanic, but they are Latinos like mm-hmm. me. Exactly.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, like, it's just there's so many people who don't feel like this is accurate, and this article did like kind of a good job of calling that out and being like, maybe we need a rebrand for Hispanic Heritage Month because it's feeling outdated at this point.
3: Yeah, I, I agree, and I, I think that's one of the reasons. For example, the the Vita um, show yeah. the on stars kind of resonated with me because I think they're really making an effort to make sure that their content is inclusive. And so then when they speak to the community, it feels authentic, it feels connected, because they're actually backing it up by what they're doing. And that's a really important part. I've one of the companies that I, for example, I've seen do a good job across the board, not just with Hispanics, because I feel like it actually comes from more of their corporate culture is Microsoft, which you wouldn't think normally in such a big company and you know it's tech, whatever, but they actually go um, from the inside out versus the outside in, meaning that they take a lot of what their employee resource groups and their you know the different groups inside their company want to support and then go out from there. So it's not so much about a campaign to support Hispanic Heritage Month. It's about supporting their employees and what they're interested in.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's kind of a, that's good, a good illustration of, like, how you can make your diversity and inclusion efforts more genuine because so many people, I feel like, want to just slap that label on, like, a panel discussion or a, a title or something like that to describe someone's new job. And it's like, what are they actually doing? What efforts are they actually making? And I feel like there's good ways of doing it and there's kind of, you know, transparent ways that you're not really... You're just using it as a label. So, yeah, I like that. All right, so another question I was kind of wondering for everybody is how how you all think marketers can better reach their Latino. We could just use Latino instead of Hispanic since we kind of all agree that that's not really all-encompassing consumers.
4: I, I think that, you know... the, the I've got a couple of thoughts about that. First of all, it's very important to understand that reaching Latinos is not connecting with Latinos. Uh, Sometimes I feel that there are significant concerns at the corporate level to reach in a more efficient way. But very few discussions about effective way, uh, like more a media perspective, how, how many Latinos you reach, what you reach, what's the overlap with the general market. But the question I think that really drives sales is exactly how effective that you can reach, but you may not connect. And I see that a lot. Uh, corporate clients happy with reaching only. And I think that's where I think we come in and, and, and create awareness about that. Uh, the... On the effectiveness side, the interesting thing, when I, started, uh, when I came here 20 years ago, I started working in the segment. There was a lot of complaints about lack of research, lack of data on what exactly uh, creates this effectiveness. Honestly, I think there is not such thing as perfect environment from a data and research, but there is enough. And I would like to highlight a study that Nielsen released two years ago with the ROI of Hispanic advertising. And this study has been really, really important to drive a lot of what we do in our industry. And it's very clear and reinforced a lot of things that we've been saying for many years, but now it's coming from uh, a very uh, respected institute, which is great. And they're talking about the power of context. Uh, Latinos want to see their lives expressed and in, in advertising. They want to see the characters. They want to see the humor that they have, not you know other type of humor. They don't they want to see dialogues. They don't want to see VOs and um and you know translations and transcriptions that you know were created just to reduce the cost of the production. Um, so these elements we know for sure and Finally, they have been documented. And, and the brands that have been on that path, they uh, showed up to four times return on investment uh, from a sales perspective. And this is amazing in a time that CMOs are looking for growth, looking for um, additional market share, incremental sales. So we have the data. We have to act on it.
3: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think I think the the, the closest we can get to perfect is right context, Um And the right approach from a creative standpoint, right, because if you put if you do the right creative, but your media doesn't uh, reflect the needs of our population, then it's falling on deaf ears. If you do the right media approach, but you don't have the right creative to really connect with your consumers, then again, you're not really uh, doing a good job. So I think it's finding that. That um, that sweet spot between media and creative that really makes our brands shine with this with this consumer group.
1: Yeah, and are there any brands that you guys think
4: do this really well? Just full disclosure, one of my clients is considered one of the benchmarks in the marketplace, McDonald's, Um, and I Mm -hmm. think McDonald's. A lot of people ask us about it.
2: I will vouch for that. Um, and and, and, and
4: I, we've been working with them for 25 years. We're very proud to have a 25 years relationship with McDonald's. So we help them since the beginning. And, and a lot of people ask us, and, and they actually, sometimes they feel that, you know, it's because of the size of the budget. And, and we tell them, no, yeah, it's a, it's a very big brand, the global brand. But what I'd like to highlight when people ask for examples and benchmarks, and I say consistency they have been consistent in this marketplace. And I think that people don't realize that it's more important to be consistent than being right or the high levels of investments, going back to our first discussion, being in the month, September 15, October 15, and disappear. McDonald's has been, regardless of CEO, CMO, the changes, changes in, in, in the society has been there, sometimes more, sometimes less, changing, learning, but they have been there, part of the community, not only with national advertising, part of the grassroots with the owner operators in the local community. So I think this is very important, and that's the lessons that we tell um, our uh, clients and prospects. This is like a marathon. You're not going to be great at multicultural marketing or Hispanic marketing just because of one flight, one campaign, one great idea from Malmö or from Orsi. You know, this is very tactical. You have to be continuously investing and growing and learning. The good news is that the demographics are not going to go backwards. So the more you learn, the more relevant it's going to be because there's going to be more Latinos in the U.S. tomorrow, next month, next year, 10, 20 years uh, to come, regardless of the political environment, who is mm-hmm. the president, what's happening. This is the demographic shift that's happening. So McDonald's is a great example. Uh, you know, I also like um, to see what some of the P&G brands are doing. I don't work with them. and Some of them are really doing relevant work. I would love to see more. Um, so, again, these brands are consistent and I think consistency is key in this marketplace.
3: Yeah, 100 percent. And I agree on the p and I don't work with them either, but I think they do a very good job. And I think, again, it comes a little bit from the inside out, which is great. Um, and I would just echo the consistency thing because it is so crucial to building um The Right to market to this group, but also the longtime uh, love and loyalty that you'll get if you stay in the market. So I can echo that uh, with our with our work with Honda over 20, 25 years since they they were the first automaker um, to start speaking to um, Hispanics. I say Hispanics because back then it was considered Hispanics. And we've now adapted it to uh, our Latinx community, meaning that now our approach is so much broader in terms of being able to speak to all these different groups within the community. So, for example, one of the things that we've been able to do with Honda that I love is um, be able to – come from a from a unique Latinx insight for a brand like for a nameplate like Civic, which is you know such a young and fun car and you know it's really driven by Millennials. So, um, you know what we're able to do is come from a, a from a Latinx insight, and then they're able to use their work in their total market. Because the reality is, is that it really re- it's really relevant to everybody in that generation at this point. You know, when you lead with those multicultural insights, a lot of times you're able to really extrapolate that out to the total market because it is so much more relevant than going from um, from a unique insight that's just general market. So, I think again, and, and Honda has. To your point, um, exactly. You know, even though sometimes it's been more or less, and uh, it's not uh, it's not a secret that we don't have the biggest budgets in the auto industry, <laughs> <laughs> and somehow we make a, we're scrappy and we make a we make a lot um, happen. And it's you know it's been really wonderful to see them just consistently stay in the market and believe in the growth opportunity that is there.
4: And the interesting thing is that you may not need the, bigger, the biggest budget mm-hmm. if you actually are consistent. I think the brands that actually throw money at it because they can, but also a little bit of desperation, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And um, so that, that the consistency also avoids you to try to search for your biggest budget. So
1: Yeah. Um, what you were saying kind of about targeting millennials and kind of growing with how things change, like it was Hispanic back in like the 80s and 70s, and now we're moving into a more diverse uh, group, and we're seeing just how much of a range there is, it reminded me of this article that I published with our voice channel that somebody wrote about a Goya ad. I forget the name of the ad, but like their tagline in it was life has more than one flavor. And they were kind of showing like these Americanized, like families that have kids that grew up in America, but are fully Latino, speak Spanish at home, but at school, they speak English fluently. The ad did a really good job of showing, like, the two cultures meeting. And I think that is such a big part of the American story. And to see an ad, like, kind of address that and show, like, hey, it's different. It's not just, like, I don't know, somebody listening to salsa music or something like that wearing (laughs) high heels. Like, it's—there's so much—there's just such a range here. And to see it grow like that and address that range, I think, is really special, too. I agree. And I think um, as parents— Of the next generation. I have a six
3: year old son born here, fully bilingual. Sometimes I think more bilingual than adults. <laughs> it's amazing how quickly they pick things up yeah. at that age. Um, and he is 100% bicultural already and his favorite foods and a lot of his favorite music and things. And he just comes in and out of it without really thinking twice about it. It's so innate in who he is. And I think as a parent, all I want to do is support that and promote that even more. So if if a marketer can tap into that, think how powerful that is, mm-hmm. right? Because as a parent, all you want is your child to always feel proud of who they are. So, um, you know, I think it's a huge opportunity for brands to connect at an authentic level um, with parents and the next generation, because my son, like many, will grow up always thinking that way and feeling that way and being proud of who he is and not having to have that, hopefully that battle. Although current political climate aside, obviously, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm hopeful we will get through this yeah. stronger than ever.
2: Yeah, I'll, I'll add that, you know, you're asking what the effectiveness and what brands are doing it well. And I think the brands that are doing it well to me are the ones who, like, throw in Latinx people in commercials and don't make it a big deal. And Mm -hmm. it's just, like, this is the world we live in. And, like, you know, we've all been saying, like, not everyone listens to salsa music or speaks – not even everyone speaks Spanish. Mm -hmm. And showing that they're just – you know, incorporating diversity into your marketing and advertising, um, I think is a simple, like, I mean, to me, it seems like a very simple way of solving and <laughs> addressing the market and just showing, like, we're not just siloed and we're not also, you know, the immigrants who come here, we're a mix of both and addressing that through these, you know, what I consider very simple yeah. additions to marketing.
4: I, and uh, building on that, uh, I, I think that the the interesting thing, and I'm, I'm, I'm an economist so I'm very excited with data and and mm-hmm. <laughs> is that what used to be a segment that was considered very homogeneous like 30, 40 years ago. It's it's a big group that cannot be that homogeneous. The 61, 60 million Latinos, depending on where you see, we, we are not that homogeneous. And I and actually I like that. Some clients, they actually feel frustrated that they have to further segment a segment. They want to check a box sometimes. Mm-hmm. No, there are many boxes to check. Uh, you mentioned language, um, their culture, level of, uh, of how many years in in this country. I actually think that we live in an era that data and technology allows us to further segment and reach in a cost-effective way, these consumers, uh, it's a little bit more complex. It used to be easier to have a TV ad on Univision, Telemundo, some radio <laughs> spots, some out of homes in Spanish, and that's it. Yes, it, it is less, uh, less, less simple, more complex. However, it's 20 30, 50, sometimes depending on the industry, 100% of your growth. So there is a pot of gold in the end of the rainbow that um, it's worth the complexity that you're going to be facing. And sometimes I see clients frustrated uh, with how complex and multifaceted and uh, and further segmented. And, and uh, just b- build on one thing. I actually like to to see a representation in general market ads, and not even call it out. What concerns me is that some advertisers they use this to avoid uh, and cut the budget on segment specific. There are still more than forty million Latinos that speak Spanish. Many of them consume Spanish language media. A lot of advertising agencies, they can do amazing work beyond translation and should be beyond translation. And some clients use that excuse of total market to say, you know what, but I'm doing Latino marketing. I'm reaching them and I have three Latinos in the ad saying hola. <laughs> uh, and I say, you know what, yeah, that's not Hispanic marketing. That's not multicultural marketing. So what we see as an agency, Marina, I don't know if you agree, is that it's great to have that, but not an expense of the day-to-day dialogue with the consumer because there's still size Um to, to drive sales. So for us, it should be both. Uh, we should have clients that are bringing more diversity on the general market mainstream and still investing significantly on the segment opportunities through media, through grassroots, local, national. There are a lot of ways. There is no formula. But it, we cannot increase diversity mainstream and cut the segment uh, communication. It's a bad decision from an ROI standpoint.
3: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think you ha- it's a it's an and not an or. It's great to have both because at the end of the day, you have to be where people are. And some people, to your point, are watching English language TV, and so they want to see themselves represented too. So it shouldn't be all in Spanish language. But it, if you if you just cut out the Spanish language to have that representation in, in your general market media, then that's going to work against you. And I think ultimately, clients that. Are looking for the data. To your point earlier about the data and the immense opportunity we have with data today, realize this. They see the opportunities that are out there, and it's not just about obviously Spanish language television. You know that's a base, and it's it's a lot of times something you need. But there's so many opportunities today in digital and social media. I mean, we've we've had some amazing insights uh, come out through our community management work on social media because that's where you're really having these great touch points with the community. As they're responding to your brand messages. And, for example, uh, one of our clients, Dole um, Dole packaged Foods, they do kind of um, fruit bowls and um, canned fruit and things like that. Um, very good canned fruit. <laughs> you know, we launched their social media handles for uh, Dole Sunshine Latino. Going back to Latino. I'm now thinking of asking them to change it to Latinx but we'll see I'll let you know how that goes um, so one of the things that we learned is we started going out really to more of the Spanish preferred moms and um, we started really targeting them with a lot of recipes that were heritage recipes you know her, um, recipes that you could mix in some of dole's products in but to really keep the consistency of of recipes that they've they've always cooked. And what we found, which was really interesting, is that younger millennial moms and and non-moms that were speaking English were really interested in the content as well. And they were reaching out and engaging with these other moms. And so we created this amazing space where Spanish and English was happening on the channel. And they were all kind of going back and forth like, oh, my grandmother used to make that recipe. I would love to have that recipe. Can you translate it for me back in English? Mm -hmm. Because maybe I don't Speak Spanish, yeah. and I don't. But I still want to cook that recipe, and so th- it was an amazing opportunity that was learned through just paying attention to the data that was showing us into the consumer in, uh, engagement. So there are a ton of places that you can be having these conversations with with the Latinx community, both online and offline.
1: Yeah, and you see this with like how the Washington Post is uh, launching their opinion channel in Spanish now as well, and they're also going to be launching. Um, A podcast in Spanish. And um, I mean, the New York Times had one, and there's.
4: Should we change this podcast to Spanish now? Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I can speak Spanish, so someone's going to have to translate for me, I guess. (laughs) Te ayudamos.
4: (laughs) Listo. Um, But you know, it's this interesting uh, topic about language because a lot of clients come to us, and some clients they have significant infrastructure from a website standpoint, sometimes transactional, and they say, if I have to translate, I have to translate hundreds of pages. Mm-hmm. Um, am I going to see the ROI or, you know, uh, several touch points? Uh, if you are in the service business, you have several contracts, brochures, flyers, point of sale, and there is this question about language. and And we keep saying it's about culture. Forget language for a second. Let's figure out the right message in the right culture tone because culture is the new language. Mm-hmm. Then we figure out what's the best language combination um, depending on the touch point, and maybe we can do like the famous eighty to twenty, where eighty percent of the uh, of the traffic goes. Maybe we should have, but. We should stop thinking about Latinx market as a Spanish language. I, you know, thankfully we've been seeing that over the years. But uh, we need to put culture at the at the center of the discussion. Um, language we figured out. Language, you know, technology is going to translate uh, <laughs> yeah. better than than tra- translating right now. We're not in the translation business. We are in the culture marketing business, and I think that's the message that we need to tell the marketplace.
1: Yeah, definitely. Okay, and then from there, I wanted to kind of look again at some examples, like what the point of when we'll stop needing to do the heavy lifting for others before it becomes ingrained in a strategy without a second thought. It's more of a fun question, I think. It's a crystal ball you, question. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
2: yeah, yeah, I want uh, the exact Should we this. take bets? Uh, Start a pool going. Yeah.
4: So, uh, yeah, let's go back to the demographics. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, This discussion is going to be more and more relevant as we pass by. Um, I was taking a look at some census data. Next year is going to be the census, uh, even though a lot of people think that census data is going to come next year. No, it's going to come, it's going to take time. But uh, the census has this American Community Survey, the ACS, and I'm actually writing an article about that. And I was able to capture a couple of things. So uh, I brought some data here just to be more precise. So next year uh, is going to be emblematic because it's going to be the first year. That the the majority of the population in the country under 17 years old is going to be a minority. So I'm adding African-American, Asian-Americans, and the other minorities. So it's going to be more than 50%. So the first time, 17 plus, is going to be a minority, minority majority. And then this is 2020. And at one point between 2040 and 2050, the whole country is going to be a minority majority. Some people say 2043, 2042. It's hard to predict depending on the pace and other aspects. So the next two decades, we're going to be seeing significant transformation. And this is not about advertising transformation because I think what we do as advertising agencies in this business, we play a little bit the role of consultants too, like the the business consultants, because there is no such thing as many business consultants from a Hispanic standpoint. And what we've been telling is that Advertising is great, but don't see this as an advertising thing. Think about your product mix, uh, the flavors that you offer. Think about distribution strategy. Think about your hiring and promotion from a DNI, D&I, and i diversity and inclusion standpoint. Everything that you're going to be doing in America is going to be to be, is going to have to be reflective of these demographic changes that we are seeing. Um, so we're excited to be on, on this. It's exciting to be in this business. I'm very bullish and optimistic, even though we are seeing a lot of difficulties from the overall advertising business. But if you look at these demographics, there's no other way than being optimistic. Now, are we going to stop this discussion? I think it's it's beyond that. There's going to be advertisers and clients and agencies that are going to be in the forefront. There are going to be the followers, and there's going to be the brands that are going to disappear. And people say, well, they never capture the demographic shifts. As people say, well, brand X didn't capture the digital transformation. I actually feel that the same transformation is happening from a demographic standpoint. There are leading brands that are going to become followers they're following brands that are going to take this opportunity and going to leap forward because they're going to tap into the multicultural segments, there's going to be significant transformation. Um, I hope that a few years from now we can come back and say, well, there is no there is no sense to have Hispanic Heritage Month anymore because it's mainstream, but not a mainstream vanilla, not a one-size-fits-all, not a we are all part of the melting pot, so let's not talk about that. should be more about being part of something bigger, great, but without losing our identity and our culture. I think that's the challenge.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, that's. I, I agree. I think um, I'm I'm pretty optimistic as well, although sometimes you know, it's hard to be because we have been talking about this for quite a long time. As I'm sure you all know, I sometimes still have the same conversations and the same presentations with clients today that I had 15, 20 years ago, um, which – it's kind of mind blowing, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and people ask me, well, you know, do we still need to make the business case? Yes. And we will keep making it until we don't have to anymore. So, um, but I, I'm optimistic as well, because I think the reality is, is that, um, as the demographic shift happens, there will be no other choice. And as Isaac said, those who don't take that opportunity on will probably disappear. So that will be the the shift. Um, I, I think, um, The reality is we're already, from a consumer standpoint, seeing such a huge shift that that's going to drive a lot of um, things from the inside out. And what I mean by that is that companies have to uh, do a better job with their recruiting. Mm. And the minute that they do, and some companies already are, the minute that they diversify their their companies, this will make – this, this conversation will not need to happen anymore because it will be very obvious. I think right now we're still at a time where companies aren't as diverse as they should be, especially at the higher levels. Mm-hmm. So there is a bit of unconscious bias happening at times that the numbers are there, the data is there, and for whatever reason, you know, it's not being paid attention to. Maybe conscious bias, as <laughs> one of my clients said once. Uh, but, um, I won't name any names, obviously. But, um, you know, the minute that the, the, the employee workforce diversifies uh, to the point where at the lo- higher levels, you're seeing the level of diversity we need to see, then then there won't be that unconscious bias anymore. And so the, the conversation will not be, do we need to do this? It'll be, what's the best way to do this? And lots of clients are already doing this. Lots of brands are already doing this. So it's just a matter of kind of getting everybody else to yeah. come along.
2: Uh, from the consumer perspective, you know, one, because I cover this industry, and two, because I am a consumer, <laughs> I am only optimistic in the sense because of Gen Z, and I think they've really, and you know, millennials as well, but, you know, that generation has really started to push the bar on what's acceptable from brands and companies of, in terms of advertising and marketing and also leadership and, and what their companies look like, and, um, you know, I think people are quick to call it, like, cancel culture, quote-unquote, but at the end of the day, like, if you're a brand and, like, your demographic starts a hashtag against you or whatever it is because you did something wrong, like, it's on you to figure it out, how to, like, learn from that and move on from that. And, I mean, Gen Z is, like, just driving so much of that change and not standing for, you know, a company doing something racist again or um, xenophobic again. And, Maybe it's a lot of faith to put into a generation and too much to put on a generation, but uh, they're doing the work whether they know it or not, and it's, I mean, it's nice to see that I think in this day and age, like, brands are responding to it as well. Like, I'm sure the work was being done before, but because of social media, whether it's good or bad, it's pushing brands to change and realize they can't just do this, like, one-size-fits-all and hope that it goes okay because it won't and the world will let you know it.
4: Yeah. And and I wish there was another constituency that I think is important that we barely talk about, which uh, uh, is Wall Street. The financial analysts, the people that are trying to predict which brands and corporations are going to be winners in 10, 15, 20 years from now. Um, I think there's uh, – would be very interesting if we can actually bring this discussion to that debate too because uh, I think when board uh, boards of directors and CEOs and CFOs start to be concerned about their – uh, growth strategy and the lack of a uh, multicultural um, uh, strategy that's when I think we're going to see a little bit more action uh, it's too much to think this is only a CMO responsibility, I think that we need to figure out a way to escalate this debate to CEOs, CFOs and board of directors because this is about the growth strategy, I think uh, 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 paraphrasing something that Nielsen said in a report a few weeks ago, if you don't have a multicultural strategy, you don't have a growth strategy in America, period Uh, And I I couldn't say this better, and I fully agree on that. So this is not an advertising CMO branding discussion anymore. This is a business discussion, and and I hope more CFOs, CEOs, and board of directors, and Wall Street overall analysts uh, are part of this discussion too.
1: And um, back on one of the points that you made, Marina, about um, how it needs to be at the higher levels, I had read a study recently that said, like, You see more companies touting like, oh, we are hiring more diverse people, but a lot of times they hire them for these lower-level jobs, and then when a layoff happens, these are the people who get laid off, and it's still like the same – we're looking in a mirror still. So it really does have to like permeate all the way to the top. Otherwise – it's, it just ends up being another label and it ends up being another like we did the thing. We checked that box and it, it has to be a commitment. Yeah, like you were saying, it does benefit our bottom line, the bottom line of
4: a company. Yeah. And, and a lot of people also confuse diversity and inclusion, which is extremely important with multicultural marketing. Yeah, I agree. Um and, and, and I like when I hear people saying, well, first of all, let's break diversity and inclusion. Uh, diversity is good. But if you don't include them at all the mm-hmm. levels, as Marina was saying, you, nothing is going to change. And a lot of people check the box and use the statistics, mm-hmm. X percent, Y percent, and we are good. And uh, But hiring and empowering these people, it's great. And hopefully that's going to lead to multicultural marketing, but doesn't replace. Um, but uh, Luis Miguel Messiano, which is the founder of my agency, said the other day, Diversity as inclusion is about values, and multicultural marketing is about value. And they are connected. But, you know, that's that's a very important discussion we should have. But absolutely, you're, you're right. Um, it's good to be in the party, but uh, we need to be called to dance. Mm-hmm. And also, advertising agencies <laughs> need to be doing that, too. All because right. a lot of general market agencies, they call themselves small multicultural right now based on the diversity targets. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I think um, I think to your point earlier, Isaac, that it's not just a marketing issue, and that's marketing is actually more heavily representative of the of the overall population than most of the rest of corporate America. Right, you see a lot more women, although not as many as you should, definitely at the higher levels. But you see a lot more women. You see a lot more people of color. But when you step out of the marketing department. It is not diverse. So I can't tell you the amount of times. I mean, I've worked in uh, financial, insurance, automotive, some of the most uh, male and uh, Caucasian filled rooms of my life, (laughs) you know, where literally I am one woman among. you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of men. And uh, when I'm seeing, you know, board of directors come up and present and people outside of the marketing organization, uh, CFOs, CEOs, anybody else, they are typically white males still. Mm -hmm. So this is something that we'll need to change. And I think we're getting there slowly, but surely we're getting there. But um, we can certainly use more firepower and more people speaking up about this and more support because at the end of the day, the talent is there. Um, We just need to have those doors open to the right places so that the the business decisions can be made more thoughtfully, and I think to your point about the growth strategy. If you don't have someone in the room that is thinking this way when they're talking about their growth strategy, then it's you know not as likely to happen. So you know I I, I definitely think that this is an area where as a community we could do more. We could try to help more, and that's where I think diversity and inclusion can be helpful. But it just needs to be more nuanced. Um, it's not just about hiring a bunch of multicultural or female, um, you know, candidates. It's about giving them a path to grow into those higher level positions. And and we
4: as an industry, we have an obligation to actually... Create, uh, destroy the stereotypical images of what are the jobs that you know multicultural mm-hmm. consumers can do, and reinforce that you know we can do anything. Uh, you know, just a little plug is, is something that we did last year for HP. HP has this big reinventing mindsets campaign, and they decided to do one for specific segments. They have a LGBT, they have a women's, they have a Asian American, African American, and we were invited to help them with the Hispanics. And we did something very simple. This is was organic, not a TV ad. Uh, we ask. Um, A lot of people, uh, non-Latinos, what was a Latino job? Mm. And 99% they went to the stereotypical um, maintenance, uh, truck driving, construction, uh, landscaping. And we asked the Latinos, what is a Latino job? A very simple exercise. And there, there were no limits Latino jobs so I can be an astronaut, a scientist, a mathematician. I can be anything that I want. And actually, a lot of them said I can be anything that I want, not, a, not only because I can, but because hardworking is part of our DNA, <laughs> um, which I love that. And uh, so as an industry, I think that we need also every time we have an opportunity to portray our um, um, characters in advertising, we have to elevate the quality of how we portray uh, Latinx. Um, because uh, it tells the younger generation, you have a six-year-old, they have a seven and 11 boys born here, but also Latinos being being raised as Latinos, that they can be anything. Um, sometimes the barriers start with ourselves. So,
2: uh, so as, you know, as we bring this conversation, but not the month yet to an end, um, I just, like I said, I'm optimistic that the next generation will really push the industry forward. And I hope that all of you listeners, maybe learn how to say a Spanish name. It's You can say Jake. You can say Jason. You can say Alcantara. And <laughs> it's really not that hard. It's, it's, I trust in all of you listening out there that just learn a Spanish name and say it properly. It, it's going to happen. Alcantara. <laughs> <laughs> I right? um, so
3: I think as we wrap up uh, Hispanic Heritage Month, or as we just rebranded it, Latinx Heritage Month, yep. I hope— um I I want to share an example that didn't come up while we were talking but it came up before we got here which is uh, Spotify actually did a really cool campaign the last two years for Black um, Heritage Month and one of the thing that was really great about that is that the agency they worked with Saturday morning actually and I have no affiliation to them by the way I just happen to like this uh, they actually pushed back and said let's not make this one month let's mm-hmm. make this every month of the year and they're Going on year two. So Spotify, if you're out there, let's do the same for Latinx Heritage Month. Let's make it a full year thing and uh, celebrate every accomplishment that we make as a community every month of the year, not just from September 15th to October 15th.
4: Yes, Dito Alcantara. <laughs> uh, the, the, um, you know, as I said, I'm very optimistic. First of all, let me thank you at Week for the invitation. It's great to be here. It's a great conversation. Great to be with you, Marina. Thank you. Um, I think that the uh, there are a couple of things that excites me about the future. I'm I honestly am very happy with the streaming war that's happening. I think there's going to be an opportunity for more relevant content for Latinx consumers. Cannot wait to see what else is going to come and, and maybe be part of this uh, this adventure with them. We discussed the census. Uh, next year is uh, election year. Um, I think 2018, the Latinx community already started to flex their muscles. I think there is a significant gap that we need to cover in terms of voting registration and voting participation, uh, without being political, there is no one that's naive enough to don't know that, you know, there is association between political power and economic power. And I think Latinos, we have to strengthen our muscle from our voting power, regardless of the party. Uh, and I think we saw a little bit of uh, a sneak preview in 2018 in the midterm. And I, I'm very hopeful that we're going to see significant engagement uh, next in 2020. Uh, and I think with this engagement, we're going to start a, a new decade of uh, of growth. Ups and downs, you know, a lot of complexity, but, but growth. So thank you.
1: Yeah. And I'm also just excited for what Gen Z is bringing us because I do feel like they are changing things on like not just for Latinos but for like gender and they're just challenging so much and it's it's really fun to see that shake up and I'm excited to see and hear more like podcasts that branch out into different languages more publications doing that there's going to definitely be bumps in the road but I think it's a good start and I'm excited to see how that all grows in the next year our theme music is by home this episode was edited by Lane McGivney and produced by Nicole Ortiz me hey. Audio production by Josh Rios. Please take a moment to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Stitcher. If you enjoyed this episode, please send an email to podcast at adweek.com.
0: Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just the thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brain or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content, so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to ViralGrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality.